0: Lord Jesus, as we face the trials of what people think of us for following you, and the temptation to be ashamed of you, please would you use this part of your word to strengthen us, guard us, and help us to stand. In your name. Amen. Please have a seat. I remember meeting someone at a drinks party, and he said uh, to me, what do you do? And I said, I work for a church. And he said, does that mean you're some kind of counsellor? And that was opportunity number one, to be ashamed of Jesus. Because all I needed to say was, well, yes, I suppose I am. Uh, and uh, we wouldn't have got onto anything uncomfortable. We could have moved smoothly to the weather or football or something like that. Uh, but I said, no, I'm not a counsellor. My job is to tell people about Jesus. And it always changes the atmosphere, doesn't it, to get the J word out on the table because suddenly the other person knows you're not just talking about your own private belief but about something public out there that really happened and that you might be about to say is true for everyone so quick as a flash he said um, but you're not saying that Jews and Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists are all wrong are you so that was opportunity number two to be ashamed of Jesus all I needed to say was oh, no no no, I'm not, I'm not saying that for everything to be uh, all smiles but i said yes that's exactly what i'm saying I'm, I'm saying they're all wrong and he could not get away from me quick enough you could see the scorch marks on the carpet <laughs> the main thing god says to us in this morning's bible passage is do not be ashamed either of jesus or of fellow believers standing up for jesus And if you're already a Christian, it won't be difficult to think back uh, with me to the last time that you were ashamed or that you were tempted to be. And this Bible passage is here to help us with that temptation. And if you're here just still thinking through what you believe, what being a Christian would involve, this will help you be very realistic about what it could cost. So would you turn in the Bibles to page 995? That will get you to part of the New Testament called 2 Timothy Uh, we're going to do a few flicks in it so as well as having it on the screen it's great to have it open in front of you page 995 we had our first look at this in our all-age service last week Um, that didn't really give time to sketch the background to this bit of the bible so let's do that quickly now have a look at um, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 1 So it's from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus, and it's to Timothy. So Paul was writing this from prison in Rome. He was on trial for his life because people opposed to Christianity had accused him of preaching something that was anti-Rome and that should not be tolerated. So look on to verse 8. Paul writes, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. And one reason why Paul wrote this was to ask Timothy, who was his closest ministry colleague, to visit him one last time before his increasingly likely execution. So if you turn over to chapter 4 and verse 6, just over the page to chapter 4 and verse 6, you'll see Paul says... For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure, in other words, death, has come. So he feels his life is trickling away, as it were. And chapter 4, verse 9, if you glance onto that, he says to Timothy, Do your best to come to me soon. So just put yourself in Timothy's shoes and imagine this trip to Rome that you're contemplating making you're going to have to go to an infamous prison there and ask to see Paul and they'll be curious won't they, why do you want to see him why are you associated with him are you part of this same dubious Christianity movement are you uh, preaching the same message for which he's been arrested and accused it's risky isn't it going and doing that And there's going to be plenty of opportunity to be ashamed of Jesus and of Paul. So turn back to chapter 1 and verse 8, and we'll pick up this week's passage. And the first thing Paul says to Timothy and us is, Suffer for the gospel. Suffer for the gospel. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, in other words, the gospel message, Nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So, hands up if you like suffering. You know, in our context, if you like people thinking you are judgmental and narrow and bigoted and unscientific and just plain stupid for believing what you believe. Or hands up if you like the idea of falling foul of gender and sexuality, Ideology in your workplace uh, or in dealing with your children's teachers. And if you like the thought of even facing discipline or legal action over that, you see, there are no hands because we don't like suffering. And being ashamed of Jesus is the way to avoid it. And there are two main ways to be ashamed one is to say nothing about the gospel. So that was opportunity number one in that drinks party conversation. Are you some kind of counsellor? Well, yes, I suppose I am. All uncomfortable topics avoided. Here we go, on to football or the weather. The other way to be ashamed is to say something Christian, but only what people will be happy to hear. In other words, to change the gospel, not least to leave out the hard things or the negatives. And that was opportunity number two in that drinks party. You're not saying that Jews and Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists are all wrong, are you? Oh, no, 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 I'm not saying that. Jesus is is the way to God for me, but, you know, I I, I realise other people have found their own way. And you've just quietly sold the past completely. But where we are really being put to the test right now is in the area of gender and sexuality ideology. Because We're not just going to be falling foul of public opinion on this one, are we? Uh, We're going to be increasingly falling foul of regulations and the law. And yet we need to see things clearly and say to ourselves, isn't it ironic that the PRIDE movement stands for behaviour which God in the Bible says people should be ashamed of, while that movement pressurises us to be ashamed of the only behaviour that God has created for real human flourishing. Isn't that ironic? So verse 8 again. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. In other words, don't be ashamed either of Jesus or of fellow believers who are standing up for Jesus and not sparing his blushes. Someone I think of when I read that verse is David. Because in his time leading this church, David has stood for the gospel in ways that have been roundly criticized and attacked. He has taken flack upon flack for us. So early on, he had to take a stand when the Bishop of Durham questioned whether Jesus had bodily risen from the dead. Uh, More recently, he's had to take stands when bishops of Newcastle haven't been able to affirm what the Bible says on gender And sexuality. And looking back, the question for us uh, under David has been are we ashamed of those stands? Are we going to share in them? And you all have felt that if people have ever said to you, oh, you go to that church, do you? And looking forward beyond David's time, the question is will we be ashamed of the legacy of biblical convictions that he's? left us and we're going to need to be very wise about what does need to change beyond David and in terms of convictions what mustn't so that's the first thing suffer for the gospel the second thing is value the gospel value the gospel look at verse 8 again Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who, and that's a springboard from which Paul dives into this next bit, where he reminds us what the gospel is and how it's changed everything for us. So just try to get what Paul is doing here as as we race through it. Verse 9, he says, God who saved us. So if you are trusting in Jesus, you have been saved from facing God's rejection forever to knowing that you are forgiven for every reason in your whole lifetime why he should reject you. That is all sorted. Amazing. Read on. And he called us to a holy calling. So if you're trusting in Jesus, you've been called from making up your own purpose and identity And trial and erroring your own ideas of right and wrong, to your harm and to others' harm, to knowing why you're really here, that that you are made by God and for God. You're home and dry on what life's all about. Amazing. Read on. And not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. In other words, if you're accepted by Jesus today, it is not because you're good enough, as if you ever could be, but because he's gracious. And it says because he decided to love you before you were even around to do anything that might earn or, or merit his love. It's the only totally unconditional love you'll ever know. Verse 10, and that love has now been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ. In other words, it's been shown by Jesus coming into the world and dying on the cross for us. And it doesn't even end there because read on, he also abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In other words, by rising again, Jesus blew a hole in death to show that if you're trusting in him, death is not going to be the end of you, it is going to be the beginning of your best life. C.S. Lewis puts it like this at the end of the Narnia stories where he's describing their entry into life beyond death. The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in in which each chapter is better than the last one. Do you get what Paul is doing there? He's reminding us how amazing the gospel is and how amazingly it has changed our lives, both before and after death. And he's doing that so that we value it. Because he knows as well as we do, we are constantly tempted to be ashamed of the gospel as bad news rather than valuing it as good news. So just think again, back to that drinks party conversation. You're not saying that Jews and Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists are all wrong, are you? And straight away, he's, he's pushing me on, on the, onto, my, on, you know, onto the back foot, casting the gospel as bad news. The gospel is something that shuts people out, that judges people, that says they're wrong when the reality is the gospel is unbelievably good news, that that God in his grace sent his son to die, so that all those groups of people, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, and more, atheists, agnostics, LGBTQ, etc., etc., might not be shut out from God, but called back in, But the world is so brilliant at casting the gospel as bad news and in the heat of the moment we very easily believe it is and then we're ashamed of it. Which is why we need to value the gospel and take it in more and more deeply in our own Bible time, on Sundays, in small groups, you name it. So that in the face of people who are always casting it as bad news we are quietly inwardly convinced no this is good news and you need to hear it and I'm going to keep going. So suffer for the gospel, value the gospel. Third thing, don't fear for the gospel. There's no doubt that the cultural tide is running against Christianity more than it ever has, certainly in my lifetime. And you will have heard the predictions that if the decline in the UK church continues then by 20, whatever it is, there isn't going to be a church in the UK. And you may also have wondered whether you are going to be able to stand against the increasing pressures, either from more extreme secularism or under maybe Islamic hegemony if it comes to that in this country. And it's easy to fear for the gospel, isn't it? And and fear for ourselves who carry it. But Paul says, don't. Look down to the very end of verse 10, where Paul writes the gospel, then verse 11, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day, the day Jesus comes again, what has been entrusted to me, by which I think he means the gospel. So in verse 12, he's saying he's convinced that God himself can and will guard the gospel And guard the church that carries the gospel so that it will never die out. Denominations may die out if they're ashamed of the gospel. Ours may. But the church, in the sense of real believers worldwide, never will. And the gospel never will. And that's the lesson of China, isn't it? When the People's Republic of China was declared in 1949... All the foreign Christian missionaries were thrown out and for the Christian nationals, the choice was either declare your loyalty to the Communist Party to be above your loyalty to Christ or go to prison or labour camp for up to 20 years. And so Christians watching in the West were all fearful that the church would not stand up to that communist clampdown. And you know the rest of the story. Some estimates say that there are 100 million Christians in China today. Not in easy circumstances, but as Paul says here, being guarded by God. So by all means, be realistic about how hard it could be to be a Christian here or anywhere else. But don't fear for the gospel. Suffer for it, value it, don't fear for it. Lastly, guard the gospel. Guard the gospel. Look at verse 13. Paul writes, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So thinking back just one last time to my drinks party conversation and my two opportunities to be ashamed of Jesus. Number one was to say nothing Christian. Um, Yeah, I suppose I am some kind of counsellor. Number two was to change the gospel, at least by leaving out the hard things and the negatives. Um, No, 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 of course I'm not saying that Jesus is the only way to God. You've misunderstood me. And there is always pressure on us to change the gospel. Which is why Paul says, verse 13, follow the pattern, or you can translate that word, the standard of the sound words that you have heard from me. So under God's guidance, Paul and the other apostles have put in writing for all time what the gospel is in the New Testament part of this book. And their words are the pattern to follow or the standard by which all speaking about Jesus needs to be judged. Now, that doesn't mean we should only use their very words and and tell our colleagues tomorrow morning they need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb or whatever. It does mean we need to understand their very words and then translate them accurately and faithfully into words that the people we're talking to will get. So take the word sin for example you can't explain the gospel without explaining sin because sin is the bible word for the wrong attitude to god that is the root of all our problems trouble is most people around us get their definition of sin from the tabloids you know so and so's night of sin so sin equals jumping into bed with someone that you shouldn't well sin can lead to doing that along with a thousand and one other wrong behaviors but that's not what sin is Sin is the attitude that says to God, I don't want you to be God over me. Or you could, how could you translate it? Sin is ignoring God. Sin is rejecting God. Sin is refusing God's authority. And our job, if we're Christians, is to learn, from the, learn the gospel from the words of the Bible and then translate them faithfully and accurately into what the people around us are going to be able to understand. So suffer for the gospel, value the gospel, don't fear for the gospel, and guard the gospel. And that is how we will avoid being ashamed. And this week's passage ends with the examples of some people who were and some people who weren't. So look down to verse 15 to wrap up. Paul writes to Timothy, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygellus and So Paul's in prison, they drop him like a hot brick or a hot cake, whichever it is you drop. Which is a reminder that that people can profess Christian faith while the going's easy, it gets tough, and they pack in their profession and it becomes clear they never had a real living faith in Jesus at all. By contrast, look at verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. That risked a lot and that must have meant a lot to Paul. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know well all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Verse 8 again. Therefore, do not be ashamed. Of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Don't be ashamed to be a Christian today. Don't be ashamed to become a Christian today. Don't be ashamed. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we have been ashamed of the gospel ashamed of your son, ashamed of his cross and of his grace, ashamed of his teaching and his lordship, and we are sorry. And we ask your forgiveness for the times when what people think has mattered far more to us than what you do. We pray that you would strengthen our conviction that the gospel is true and good and needed by everyone around us. And we pray that when opportunity comes, your spirit would give us the power of will and the love for people to overcome our fears and to speak openly for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.